grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 welcome to California Haunts Radio tonight. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm waiting for our guest to uh, come into the green room. Ken Walker is our scheduled guest tonight. He has done something very, very unique, and um, it really hasn't been done before. You know, you you can think it has, but it hasn't. Um, I am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 35. Let me get over here so I get on the mic properly. Okay. We are, I'm waving, make sure you see me. We're 30, <laughs> we're 35 strong up and down the state of California. Uh, we also have brand, we also have affiliates in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii, where we help people. We're nonprofit. And if you think you have a paranormal problem going on in your house, you give us a call or send us, shoot us an email and you, and uh, we will speak with you on the phone and then come out to the house and do a full investigation for you at no charge. Anyway, we have a great lineup for you tonight. Um, if you want to, uh, real quick, I'm forgetting everything because I'm so excited about my guest. Um, if you want to find us, this this show especially is at California Haunts, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. The paranormal group now is at CaliforniaHaunts.org. So it's kind of a mouthful to, to, to remember. But uh, the radio uh, website has this show, plus it has all our archives for the last year and a half that we've been doing this. And plus it's going to have all of our blog talk show archives. Give you a little bit of background. This show has been on the air for almost 20 years. Uh, the first 15 years, the first 15, 16 years, we were on Block Talk Radio. And just a year and a half ago, two years, we made the change to live video. So it's 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 been quite the change this year for us, but we're really excited. Anyway, I'm really excited to have my guest on. And I don't want to tell you guys how old I am, but I'm going to age myself a little bit because what he's created in, in creating this, this, this Sasquatch is something. Ken Walker is an award-winning taxidermist. But what's unique about what he does is he creates things that have been long dead, meaning extinct creatures like the saber-toothed cat, the giant panda, things like that. So he decided that he wanted to create a Sasquatch based on, I believe he studied the Patterson-Gimlin film, which I am going to show you guys tonight as a reminder you know, to, as to what it is. But it is just so unique because he's, you know, the knowledge that he has to sculpt something like this, you know, because he works with animals all the time. So he understands the, the, the skeleton of animals. It's not like, you know, I'm not taking anything away from people like Rick Baker, uh, Rob Bottin, or even Stan Winston, you know, for doing the stuff in the movies. Like, you know, the one that comes to mind for everybody is Harry and the Hendersons when Rick Baker, you know, recreated the Sasquatch for that. Or uh, d- dating myself back into the old, old days, the $6 million man, Andre the Giant as Bigfoot and the guy from uh, the Adams Family playing Bigfoot. This is a different thing altogether because instead of building a suit for a man to wear, you know, and a mask for a man to wear, this is literally the, the, ta- the gentleman creating this out of foam and, and looking at, at, at the footage and, and figuring out where, where the proper muscles would be and everything. So this is this is more of a of a real recreation of what Sasquatch actually looks like. 
anyway, without further ado, I'm going to shut up and I'll, I'll let Ken tell you the story because it, it actually became a documentary called Big Fur that can be viewed, can, can be seen on Amazon. So let me go ahead and get Ken in here. Hello, sir. Hey, there I am. <laughs> How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm uh, well. It's it's up in the frozen north up here in Canada, and it's it, we've had weeks and weeks of like minus thirty nine degree temperatures, and then it'll all of a sudden it'll warm up and it'll rain, and then it'll go straight back down into a deep freeze. So <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm starting to look kind of leather like an Inuit. <laughs> That's what my mother used to call pneumonia weather because it can't oh. make its mind up. Oh yeah, no, no. It's it's uh, yeah. It's pretty, um, well, you know, whatever whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, they say. And this weather almost kills you every time. <laughs> Let me ask you about this stuff. Of course, you, you, you heard me in my intro. You heard me mention, you know, Rick Baker, uh, you mm -hmm. know, what he did with Harry. Yeah. And, and then there was some, and then there was some um, working with Clay for that one, you know, to get the molds for the face and everything. But what you did is a totally different ballgame because, it's not going to be worn by a man. This is an actual reproduction of of, of what, what what you think is is big is Bigfoot. Yeah, uh, actually, what what's really uh, interesting about uh, you know because I mean I th I think I've been a fan of Rick Baker since I was a little kid. Uh, you know, I my originally before I became a taxidermist, I wanted to do special effects in movies, and yeah. but I'm 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 dating myself when I can when I tell you back then there were no schools. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, but uh, the, the interesting thing about uh, making a mask as compared to what I did is as Sasquatch from its eyes, you get the brow ridge and the head goes straight back. Mm -hmm. There's only one hominid that has a forehead that goes straight up, and that's Homo sapien. And so if you actually made a, a, a mask uh, accurate to what's in the Patterson uh, footage, you wouldn't be able to pull it down to your eyes. Okay. Because uh, we have the forehead that goes straight up. So, you know, Harry from Harry and the Hendersons, of course, he had the peak straight up, whereas the Sasquatch has the peak moving back. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So now, that's interesting. Well, obviously with the Patterson-Gimbal film, you I mean, there's the original film, which I'm going to show here. But then I, I have seen the enhanced ones, which obviously I couldn't download because they're copyrighted. Okay. But there's a lot of enhanced ones where they've got it stabilized. They, you know, they, they're able to pull the creature out more. Are those the ones you looked at? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, uh, well, mind you, uh, they did the 4K versions after I was done. Uh, the four, like, I mean, the more detail you see in in the film, the more you realize that you're looking at uh, a very heavy, uh, real creature. You know, whatever it is, is extremely heavy. Um, you, in the 4K version, as a matter as a matter of fact, when uh, when she turns to look back at, uh, and I believe it was Bob Gimlin was pulling his gun from his scabbard. Uh, that's why she looked back, and when she looked back, she stepped down without seeing that it was lower, and so her leg jarred, and you can see the shock wave go up through the muscle in the leg, which, if it was a costume, would be absolutely impossible. I mean, there's just so many things. the The shin is short. The foot is longer. So, you know, the when they bring the foot forward, it's the the shin is horizontal, is parallel to the ground. Um, try walking that way. It's it's quite interesting. You know, uh, of course, the they walk in a tightrope uh, 
you know, one foot straight in front of the other. It's because there's so much weight and so much momentum that they have to, there, there can be no side to side movement. So the feet have to be directly in the center of the, uh, of the, of the, uh, the actual weight that's being uh, carried um, forward. So there's a lot of things explained. If you, if you analyze the film with, um, uh, I, I guess you could say with a trained eye, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I remember the first time I saw it stabilized, I just looked at it and I went, that's real. Yeah. Uh, and that's my eyes are trained for that. You know, I just, I could just see it was real. I, I mean, I remember, um, 1967 or 68, uh, special effects was, was pretty poor compared right. to what's in that film. But, uh, you know, it's obvious from like the original, one like you're playing now right. it's really really hard to see those details uh, you know so much was done when it was stabilized and uh, slowed down so that a person could actually uh, pick out the details well for someone like you like you say you're trained i mean you're used to working with skeletons of of, of animals I and mean, that's what you do. Yep. yeah yeah yeah. So, you know, how long did it take you to really get a good look at this thing to decide that you wanted to build one? Well, um, I had a lot of people before I, I actually started researching the subject myself, wanted to know if, if I would uh, make a, a Sasquatch model. And, and in the very beginning, I used to tell people, well, I could make a Gigantopithecus, but I don't have enough. There's only a jawbone to work with. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not enough for me to extrapolate what it was um but then when i started getting uh, hunters coming into my taxidermy shop telling me they'd seen sasquatches and uh and then i w- had a chance to actually look at the um the film in a up close way uh then i realized that i actually had something that i could reference um referencing the film did you use both the film and, and what the hunters were telling you you know with, with the, what they seen um it was a little bit harder to go off of the uh, anecdotal evidence from the hunters uh although i did get some very good um some very good anecdotes about how their eyes looked and how they uh, and what they saw like you know details like people standing face to face with one uh for a number of minutes uh and and able to see expression and intelligence and things like that but when it came down to making the actual model, I, I deferred to the uh, stills from the Patterson footage okay. like I would if I was doing a, um, a display for the Smithsonian or even for the Alberta Museum here. Like a lot of the stuff when I worked at the Smithsonian was necropsied, so the bodies were, were not there and they were cut into pieces. I had to rebuild them and I had to use photographs as, uh, as a model to get my uh, dimensions back. And so I just basically treated this uh, this project the same way, but by using the Patterson footage. Interesting. So how were you able to get the height right? I mean, I, I know you had the reports and stuff. So were you able to look at you know the what did you steal you know, the the stills itself and compare it to tree size or how that work? Well, they did that. Uh, I believe there was well, I had a measurement chart from uh, John Green. Um, and he had gone to the site and measured the trees and there were some sticks and things like this. And what he did was he took the stick and used it as a, a measuring tool um, because it was present in the film. But what I did was in one frame, uh, her foot was up and you could see 
well, it would be upside down. But you right. can see all five toes and her heel and everything else. And, of course, they made a lot of tracks. They casted a lot of tracks from that day. Uh, and the track was just under 15 inches long. So what I did is I took that photograph of the foot and I made my measuring stick from that. And I extrapolated the measurements from the foot. Now, the chart that I came up with was absolutely identical to John Green's, who, you know, he did it at by artifacts on the site. So when I did that, and, and I trusted mine inherently because it's the foot, you know, um, right. I realized that his, um, his measurement chart was by far the most accurate. Uh, and so I just used the two of them, the one I made and then his. This is just a, this just absolutely blows me away. I mean, what you created, and how much foam did you end up using? Because I know I have some photos that I'm going to show, you know, that I got off the web. But uh, how much yeah. foam did you actually end up using for the body? Well, you know, the fun thing about it is being a taxidermist. You know, <laughs> I mean, taxidermists are always trying to scrounge materials, and it just so happens that I know people uh, have family members that are friends with um, a man who owns a big company that does. Uh, a plastic company not far from here and they make giant blocks of uh, white styrofoam now white styrofoam isn't the greatest medium to work with but in big pieces it's quite light and they have a lot of uh product that has um problems with it and they have to throw it away mm -hmm. so i was able to talk them into loading up my trailer full with uh product that was basically gonna get chucked out because i'm only cutting it up and and Right, right, right. Together. So I ended up with a lot of stuff for nothing. Um, and then, of course, I used the liquid foam to join the pieces and then carve everything into place. So, yeah, I went through a lot of foam and it's really awful stuff because when you sand it, you know, you get all these beads and dust and it's staticky. It sticks to everything. So you always got to have a um, an atomizer on mist and you got to mist the water around. Everything falls to the floor because it's, it takes a static out of it. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm smiling because I do. Uh, I, I wanted to get into special effects as well in college. There were, of course, no classes. I ended up with, I ended up with makeup doing it because I thought, well, maybe you know that'll help me lead a little bit that way. But I started to do stuff at home, so I do a lot of fo I do a lot of work with foam with for Halloween and everything else. So I yeah. know what you're talking about. I mean, that's just it's like yeah, it's it's, it's, it's you know what it's it's like dog fur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. you start trimming your dog, it goes you know it's everywhere. Yeah, we have a pug here, so I know all about that. The things, well, you know, they're comedians. That's why you got them around. But the, but man, do they shed? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, so and everything. And, and well, I have a. I also have a like a really high pressure uh, cattle blower that before I leave the shop now, I have to get all of the foam off of me. Otherwise, it's on the couch, it's on the <laughs> chairs. You know, it'll bring it into the house. So I don't right. want to do that. Right. But now yeah. you, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's, it's a great medium to work with. Oh yeah, it's it's really it's really nice to work with. Um, when you first started doing the product, now I, I I did I read a couple newspaper articles about you, and mm -hmm. uh, you you had trouble getting funding for it, didn't you? For the Sasquatch? Yeah. Um, not not really. Uh, okay. There are there. I I was always planning to build it. It's just that I never had a, it. Wasn't commissioned, so okay. I had to come up with my own time and my own money. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was at the time was tough when Dan would come up and film because I'd have to stop and do another project because I got a family here and, you know, uh, well, I had a family, um, you know, they were growing up and gone now. But at the time I had to 
I had to make all my payments and pay bills and every other darn thing at the right. same time we were filming this this movie. So it was tough. I, I've since won the lottery, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy story too. But um, but no, uh, um, so there was there was that. Um, and as, as a matter of fact, I never, you know, and it's funny because people always ask me about the Sasquatch thing. I've never made a nickel off of anything Sasquatch related. I've not making a dime. Uh, I, I do this purely out of the pleasure of doing it. And I've had people accuse me of, you know, doing this for money and things. And it's like, I, I even gave away, I, I have my other computer screen here, otherwise I got no light. So when it goes off, I got to turn it back on. But, uh, um, like I, 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 like when it comes to, uh, the, the model, I gave it to Dan Wayne who made the movie. I, I gave him the, the Patty recreation because the guy spent like about 200 and some thousand dollars of his own money to make a movie about me of all people. Wow. And uh, I can always make another Sasquatch and I plan to do so. But I, I thought this one's kind of in the history books now because there's a movie about it. So I gave it to him, you know, so that he can promote his film. And if push comes to shove and he has to go somewhere, at least he can display it. And, uh, you know, I was, I thought it was the least I could do for the guy. We ended up being very good friends, uh, all in all. So what materials, okay. You used foam, but what, what did you use for the fur and the eyes and all that? Uh, for the fur, I, I, uh, I kind of had a, a hard time trying to figure out what I was going to do because anything that is primate related is, um, uh, they have hair, they don't have under fur. So and ha I wanted it to be as accurate as possible. So uh, I, I started looking at cattle hides. Uh, I look. I was looking at goats too, but I mean, I have to sew a whole bunch of goats together. And I <laughs> I wouldn't look forward to that. But then I looked at the um, the Highland steers, and I thought, man, these are going to work out good. And I found out after looking at the film and and actually talking to witnesses that the hair was a little too long. But I also did talk to some people who saw them up in the Rocky Mountains in Alberta in the wintertime and said their fur is that long. But, you know, so I guess it could have been in the realm of acceptability. Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, the nice thing about one, one Highland steer is you can pretty much make one seven-foot Sasquatch with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, then, of course, for the skin, I used um, – uh, I made molds uh, out of silicone, and I made – I used a two-part urethane plastic but i didn't like it i found and some epoxies too uh some two-part epoxies like for the hands and feet but i i just found them to be too artificial looking so uh my next project i will actually use a latex skin and then inlay the hairs that way and i think it'll be much better um you know we do that with deer mouths and and soft parts on lips and things for competition taxidermy so i know how to do it mm -hmm. uh so I think that's the route I'm going to go. I think it'll look far better. Now, looking back before this, you you are an award-winning taxidermist, mm -hmm. and you created some distinct creatures. Can, can you tell me which ones you created? Well, I uh, I entered uh, the first time I entered recreations um, at the World Taxidermy Championships was and 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 just on a side note, the guy who pretty much invented that category was Bill Munns. Mm -hmm. uh, who ended up being the guy who, who uh, did the big study of the Patterson film for National Geographic. Uh, he's actually used to come and do seminars and actually was uh, two, a two-time award-winning recreation taxidermist, uh, such as, and, and I am too now. Um, and uh, 
I think the first show I, I put in, uh, I did the, the Sabretooth Tiger. Um, and I remember that I didn't know how to make the spots. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make it look like the other members of Pantera with a rosette. So I drew them on with a felt pen. And I can still remember the horrible headaches I used to get from the felt pen. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, I did really good. I got third in the world, which is, is a big deal. Like, like there's first, second, and third medallion category. And, and, and you have to score high enough to get that. Um, but I decided I was going to come back two years later and win it. And there was a Labrador duck that beat, beat me. And I thought, what could beat a Labrador duck? You know, because it was really well done. It's an extinct duck right. that I did. And so I thought, yeah, I think I'll do a, a, a giant panda. That's gonna, that'll beat anything. And I was right because uh, I, I did the recreation panda. And I came back two years later and uh, I almost won best of show for the second time, which would have been amazing. Um, and so, uh, and then in 2006, I did the uh, Irish elk. Uh, Megaloceros, and there was actually a movie made about that too from the BBC. Uh, they came and they they tried to find as weird a people as they could and put them all into a uh, documentary. And I don't know how I qualified, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was really, it's, if you can ever if you ever get a chance to see it, it's very entertaining. It's called uh, Taxidermy Stuff the World by Century Films. Uh, and it's crazy, like that. Most of the people that were showcased hate the film like horribly because they they behave badly <laughs> which made it a better movie uh, i kind of figured out what they were doing early on so i i come across a little less um as extreme as some of the other people but it's it you could watch it a hundred times it's that good i'll have to do that i want yeah. to ask you about the world of taxidermy now stuff's changed you know the from from the way taxidermy was done years ago because they they had those guys on what what was it uh, what was it Discovery Channel with those the, those guys that were doing the freeze dries. Okay, freeze dry. Well, freeze dry yeah. is is actually uh, it's it's kind of interesting. It's it's um, it's been around for a long time. You know, there, yeah, they, they taxidermy is has uh, in the last some years has evolved uh, quite a bit. Into there's people doing what they call rogue taxidermy. Yeah. And, and they're making creatures like, you know, out of crazy stuff. And some of them, like, you know, they have rules, like you have to get everything out of a dumpster. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's quite, it's quite fascinating, quite interesting. And, and because it's, it's entering into the art realm, some of that stuff is actually uh, worth a lot of money. Um, but what you what we're seeing right now in, in taxidermy is that the, uh, the big, the biggest demographic that's coming into uh, taxidermy is women. Uh, I was just in Europe uh, this summer, and uh, they said that the entire school w was women wow. uh, taking taxidermy. And, and you know, people who are – you're starting to see people who are like uh, absolute anti-hunters, vegans, and everything going into this. You know, but, but you have to remember that it is an art form, and so it, it attracts those kind of people, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. Uh, uh, even even us, you know, the the rednecks that used to do taxiderm, or we used to be the demographic, the main demographic for taxidermists. Even they're artists; they just don't realize it, right? Right, right, right. You know, right. Just along with them, that's about all the difference is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that because I just thought I thought it was at that at that time I thought it was unique, you know, to, to see something freeze dried like that with that process, you know, as opposed to going in and I don't even know how you guys do it to be honest. Well, yeah. I, I, 
I know you have to go in and, you know, take out the insides or whatever to do it, but that's as far as I know. Well, that's a, actually well, all is you're using really is the skin. Um, okay. And that's the, the word taxi. It means to move. And dermi is Latin for skin. So you're moving the skin from, you know, where it originated to, you know, over here to the form that you've built. So it, it basically what, what happens is you take the skin off. You know, the carcass is there. It, you don't really use very, uh, very much of it. Um, but what you got to do is you got to sculpt something for the skin to go over. But the skin has to go through tanning. So it's, it's no different than a, a piece of leather like uh, a fur coat. Or anything okay. else and then you wet it down and then it conforms you know you have your eyes or glass eyes you use clay uh you know to model in your expressions around your eyes your nose and things like that so there's quite a few quite a bit of sculpting that goes with it and then of course interpretation of reference okay uh, yeah i mean there's a there's lots of things you can watch on youtube and of taxidermy and time lapse it's uh it's kind of like a car accident you can't look away you know <laughs> it, it really is uh uh interesting to to now, watch what, the difference for freeze then? What, what do they do does anything come out of the body or anything like that or is it just the whole thing goes in well they eviscerate it uh they take the in other words they take all of the the guts and things out like that they tend to they might put vermiculite or some other sort of filler inside of it uh, they basically run wires through the legs and uh, they, they pose the actual carcass. You know, they, they inlay the glass eyes and then they freeze it solid. And then what it does, it goes into a chamber where uh, and stays frozen, but they pull it into a vacuum. And because when things are frozen, the, the molecules are still, everything's still moving, but they just move slower. Well, because of the vacuum, all of the moisture comes out. But because of the freezing, it holds the structure in place. Okay. So it basically draws all of the water um, out of the animal. And you end up with something that's like, um, you know, it's almost like those uh, uh, foam toffee bars you used to buy. It's it's light, you know, but it's it's organic. You just got to watch because if you get some humidity, like if it's you put it into a humid place, it's going to uh, reconstitute, which you don't want. And there used to be uh, a number of um, uh, preservatives that they used for treating the, the bodies and things, but most of them now are carcinogenic, so you can't use them, you know, so there's that. But it's it's really not so much taxidermy in the in the traditional sense. And it, it, it went through a, a, a kind of a, a phase. And, um, you know... A, you're seeing it mostly now in people who are doing skin mounts for fish. They actually mount the fish like they normally would. They just put it in the freeze dryer so that it doesn't shrink when it dries. Okay. Uh, you know, so yeah. Um, I, 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 I kind of dabbled with it a little bit and I realized that I would have to learn everything all over again. And I just wasn't prepared to do that. So. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, I just wanted to ask, like, pick your brain about that. I was curious. Getting back to your Bigfoot now, how long did it take for you to to, to create it from start to finish? Uh, well, these projects are weird. There's kind of like pre-planning, and then there's actually doing it, and then there's you know finishing it up. Um, I I think Dan was up here for a number of weeks when we put it together, but there was an awful lot of pre-planning in getting the materials and all of the reference and everything together. It, it actually went together quite quickly uh, because we needed to do it to finish Dan's movie. Um, 
and I was kind of under the gun and we wanted it at the, the 2015 world taxidermy championships so that, uh, we could showcase it. Um, and I, and, and I knew it wasn't going to be able to compete because there was just too many people would have had a real problem with that. So mm-hmm. it, en- it ended up drawing huge, huge crowds to the world taxidermy championships. So, uh, so I ended, even though I, I usually end up on the front of the newspaper with my taxidermy work. And this time I ended up on the front of the newspaper with the novelty. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, but I, Larry made a lot of money that he's the guy who owns the world show because people were lined up around the block and they all had to pay 10 bucks to get in. And, you know, and I'm glad that they, that they came down because it gave them the chance to, okay, there's the Bigfoot, whatever. But now go and look at the taxidermy, the, the stuff that these amazing artists put together. Uh, that, you know, I think that they were able to get a lot more people in to see the real true taxidermy art. Uh, and I think the Sasquatch really, really helped. But yeah, I like the pictures of her. You know, it was a shame that the sculpture looked so good when I was finished. It was a shame to put hair on it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, I have, I casted everything. I made molds of it. I have it all in my shop. So that's awesome. This is something that amazes me about it, though. I mean, just looking at that, that, that footage, you were, you were able to figure out all, all the muscles and the arms and everything for her. Yeah, well, I use my own arms. You know, I was, I, I mean, obviously, these Sasquatch are extremely powerfully built. And, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of people say, well, how do you know that's not somebody in a costume? Well, I can I can tell you from the measurement chart that the, the hips on Patty were 28 inches wide. Wow. And that's how wide, you know, she had a big butt. Like, I mean, she, obviously she had oh, childbearing right. hips. <laughs> Yeah. And, but the thing, the thing about it is if you look at the film, the arms, her arms hung straight down, poker straight on each side of those hips. So by the time you extrapolate the center of the shoulder ball, the the shoulder joints for those arms to hang straight down is from center of shoulder joint to center was about 36 inches, which is three feet, a yard wide. Okay. Just to the, just to the centers of the shoulders. Okay. And I, I told everybody, I said, grab a measuring tape and I defy you to walk into any gym. I don't care how big the bodybuilders are. Find somebody who's got 36 inch centers from shoulder to shoulder. It's impossible. It's there far outside of human parameters. And yet uh, what you can always tell somebody in a costume in these silly videos, because their arms are sticking out at, at an angle, you know, like a windmill, because yeah. They can't, you know, the, the the body of the costume is too wide and they've got all this padding, but they can't put their arms straight to their side because the arms are sticking out at an angle. Uh, not Patty. Her arms hung straight down and they were also like, uh, thir- I, I was a 20 or 30% longer. Like the, the hands are near the knees. Right. And it makes it, her, made her legs look actually short. Now the the shin, if as you can see, the shin is shorter than the, the femur which in, 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 you can see my leg there, uh, my, my femur my, and my shin are the same length, but not the Sasquatch. They have a shorter shin, and that, so do apes, as a matter of fact. So, and so that was why when she steps forward, she has to bring uh, her shin parallel to the ground for, in order for the foot to clear to uh, step. Uh, you know, and these are all things, er, everything that I did on that was, was outside of, of the ratios were all outside of human parameters. They were different. Um, I would like them to, I'd like to dig up another piece of film that corroborates those ratios. Um, you know what it would do. It wouldn't like no film is going to prove existence, but it would definitely, um, 
it would definitely bring it a lot closer. Do you think science is ever going to accept this thing that they, that they exist? Well, it just depends on who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I am of the uh, opinion that, that they already have specimens of these put away somewhere. Um, I mean, they decided to take all the giant skeletons out of all of the collections. And uh, I knew a man who, if you gave him enough beer, he talked about it. He talked about, uh, <laughs> he, he used to have to clean all of the uh, bones for the, uh, the government for their, uh, one of the, for the, he was in the biology department. Uh -huh. And he'd get a few beers into him and he'd tell you about Sasquatches and he'd tell you he's not allowed to talk about them. And he, he wound up deceased. And uh, so... You know, I don't like to follow that trail uh, right. in my investigations. Uh, you know, I like I said, I am of the opinion uh, and I have anecdotal evidence that um, this that, that there is knowledge of, of these creatures through through industry and through government. Um, you know, and I have I, I mean, I do work. I, I do work for museums and things. So I, I work with government people. Um, I never really question them too much until they retire. Then I talk to them. Right, right. It's amazing what they, it's, it's, yeah, they don't want to lose their pension for mental reasons. <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, it's part of my investigations, but I don't pursue that particular avenue uh, too hard because there's just too much at stake. Like, you know, it's like somebody said, and he said, well, if you ever found one, would it be worth any money? And I said, well, I wouldn't want to die for it. I would just bring it forward in such a way that they couldn't refute it. But uh, of course, I'm sure there's, there's some giant forest forestry company that would pay you whatever you wanted for it. Right. Oh Yeah. Yeah. yeah but now you're a loose end. Right. So that's, that's when you have a, you know, a car accident or a bad vaccine or something. Like the brakes go on a twisty road. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. so, you know, the other thing would be that what would be scary about it too, is if you did find one, I mean, not all scientists are just going to sit there and take its temperature. They're going to want to see what ticks inside. So they're going to want to, they're going to want to, you know, do an autopsy on the thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, a type specimen, uh, see, but what people are forgetting, and this is, uh, I actually got in Alberta here. I've got a, I got an, a, a serious opinion from the feds and from the uh, provincial wildlife people. And it was quite interesting. Um, the provincial people said, well, you can go out and kill one, but you'll never be able to kill another one. And we're going to take it from you. And, uh, you know, just the way they spoke, it was almost like they knew about them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the uh, the feds came back and they told me, because I, 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 you know, they want to check out polar bears and other federally regulated animals that are in the shop. So right. I got to know some of these guys. And I said, I'm really serious about this. I want a serious answer. I said, you know, me possessing a dead one. And they said that um, the animal doesn't exist legally, even if it exists physically, because there is no type specimen that has been recognized. And so uh, it has no scientific name. And because it has no scientific name, it can be killed at any time by any people for any reason. And that, that re resonated with me. Um, and so they said they don't even think they could take it from me. Um, if I possessed it because if it didn't legally exist and uh, 
and that's one of the things like there's a lot of people that say oh i don't ever want them to be found because then they'd be in danger mm-hmm. no actually if they were discovered they'd be in less danger right now they are in complete danger there's you know if if there was uh if there was ever a department that wanted to go and clean them out of an area it's totally legal right now um once the type specimen has been um cataloged no no way you can't harm them at all uh by their own rules uh so if people really want them protected they have to be recognized first because uh you know it's kind of like if you if you had no identity, no social security number, no name, no anything like that, you know, if somebody shot you because they didn't like you, really wouldn't be much to do about it. <laughs> you know, you, you have to have, you have to prove that it was who you are before they can prove you were murdered, you know. And that's that's how it is with the Sasquatch. And um, I've got some other anecdotal evidence that they may be trying to... Uh, bring their numbers down mm-hmm. so, okay. and it's totally legal as long as there's no type specimen. So I think people need to be a little more concerned about getting a type specimen. Uh, you know, I really think it's important um, if you really want the animal to be protected. And also I wouldn't even want to call it an animal because it's obviously not. I, I know people who have shot these things personally. Uh, of course, we all know what the Sierra kills. I was the first one to talk to Justin Smeja over that. Right. And and, um, and anybody I know who's ever stood over a dead one, and I know more than one person, says that they're not an animal. They're a people, just not us. They're, you know, but literally enough, enough uh, of a hominid that they walk away from the situation uh, for, for fear of being in trouble. Um, you know, they, they look that much like us. Uh, well, they're obviously a hominid, you know. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I think that if if there ever was a type specimen uh, brought forward and the people had their say, I don't think that they would come under the same, they would have to create a, a whole new category of laws uh, to deal with them because they're sentient. Right. But they, they choose not to communicate with us they choose not to be part of our society so that they would have to be given um they would have to be given the the right to go forward and make their own decisions because they're a deciding type of creature mm-hmm. um, and that was is one of the things that if I, if i'm ever involved in proving this thing is real that I would lobby for is that it couldn't be used by special interest groups to raise money to shut down um industry you know things like that because the animal or the creature chooses not to be involved in our petty disagreements right. and I think there would have to be a law to stop that from ever happening mm-hmm. okay. yeah. well um maybe the bfro people if you're listening tonight um can correct me on this but i thought up in eureka the california here in some parts of northern california there is a law that uh people aren't allowed to shoot it yeah, well, I, I know that there was uh, one county where there had been a bunch of sightings, and so people grabbed their guns and went looking for this thing. And I think that's why they passed that ordinance. <laughs> I mean, really, nobody nobody in their right mind should ever – I'm a hunter, um, and I'm very st- strict on gun safety. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you do not shoot at, at things that are on two feet. You, you, you don't do it. Um, there was um, 
A guy came into my shop here a few years ago. Him and his father were sitting not far from where I live here, and they said about an eight-foot Sasquatch walked out onto the uh, power line. And uh, the young guy wanted to shoot it. And his father was with him, and he said no. And he said, that could be a man. It's walking like a man. And he said, look at it. He says, it's a monster. He said, it's not a man. And they got in a big argument, and his father said, I don't care if you think it's a man or not. If it walks on two feet, you don't shoot it. And the thing turned around, looked at him and walked back in the trees. And this kid, this kid was that I talked to him. And he said he was so mad because he figured he could have ended the whole thing. But his dad, I think his dad was right. I think that, uh, I think it's wrong to, to kill something like that. Um, I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah. 100%. Especially when it's able to turn around and look at you like, hey, you know, I'm here. Just leave me alone. You know, let, let me well, do my thing. They've been seen in hurricanes in Florida holding hands with their children. I mean, who wants to, you know, you're not going to eat it. And uh, I mean, in all honesty, nobody should kill something if they don't know what it is. Exactly. Well, look yeah. at Albert Osman, that reporter, that guy that got kid, supposedly got kidnapped. Yeah. He was up there with the, with the whole family, with the mom and dad and the two kids. Yeah, that's a very profound story. I believe it to be absolutely true. Um because, well, there's there's a couple of reasons why I believe the Osman account. And I can't believe that somebody in Hollywood has not bought the rights to that story. Oh, that, yeah. would be, that would be the best movie that you could ever make. Um, and but, but, but you have to remember that when Albert Osman was carried off in 1930 by a Sasquatch, the legend of the Sasquatch was a giant, uh, basically a giant Indian in a loincloth. It, like he was the first one to actually describe the Sasquatch as they are like even right down to the uh the white pads on the feet and the hands there are the gray pads uh the way they look the sloping foreheads he described patty to a t when he described the female that was there and mm -hmm. he was the first guy by many many years to actually describe what a sasquatch really looked like now the other reason i know that he's telling the truth is because of who he was uh he was a swede um I lived in Norway for five years. I speak Norwegian. Uh, that group of people, that culture of people does not lie. They are the most honest people you will ever meet. You, you know, like it's just it's it's just in their blood to be uh, very practical, uh, you know. And, you know, when I saw the interview with him, um, I think John Green did it, uh, and I saw him talking. I mean, he was like every other old Norwegian that I'd ever guided uh, or I'd ever had the, the, you know, the privilege to sit down and talk to when I lived there. Um, this is not, a, this is not, this guy culturally, racially, if you want to talk at that, that way is not the kind of person that's going to make up a story for any kind of attention at all. Um, you know, just the fact that he was a Swede. Um <laughs> uh, you know, and also they're very, very proficient in the woods. Um, and, and, I, and I really liked how he kept his composure uh, when he, you know, when the sun came up and he realized what had captured him. And that's very, uh, that's very typical of, of that, those people as well. You know, they would, they would handle that situation exactly as he did. Uh, there's, I, there's no red flags in that story to me at all. No. I don't, Just, I, I don't think so either. I really don't. Um, you obviously did a lot of research be, be, before you built Patty. Mm -hmm. And as far as like, I, I know you looked at the Patterson Gimlin film, but the other type of research you did, how long and how hard was it to get the information? 
Well, I, I talked to hunters who have seen Sasquatches and they're, they're the best, by far the best witnesses in my opinion. Okay. Um, but they're also the most difficult to get the accounts out of because of, um, you know, just, just because of the whole community. Like, you know, you get two guys hunting and one guy says, I saw a Sasquatch. And the other guy says, you mind if I carry your gun for you? You know? And I mean, they just, they, you're not going to live it down. But, um, but having talked to a lot of people and especially people who've uh, been in habituation sort of uh, situations where like out on the trap line where the guy said that after six years, they just decided to accept him and they, they showed themselves all the time in front of him. And he saw them, he saw how they walked, he saw how they looked. He told me their faces all look different, just like people. Um, so, you know, hearing those stories and I only had the opportunity to, see one once and and uh for years i wondered what it was i saw but i i thought it was a man wearing fur ran across the road in the middle of nowhere you know 30 some years ago but i realized now because i went back there and i found the tree structures and i also found the corroborating anecdotes from the same area so i realized and i think it was a young one and it blasted across the road and i think that the big one it must have been with a bigger one and that that one had crossed already and rather than hold tight until I drove by, it panicked and ran. I ran up a hill without slowing down. I've never seen even a bear do that. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, I've, I've taught, and, and when a hunter comes in and tells you that he saw a Sasquatch and he describes what he's seen, the neatest thing about a hunter is he might not be able to tell you exactly what it is he saw, right. but he can tell you absolutely what he didn't see. He, he did not see a bear. He did not see a moose. Uh, you know, they're familiar with everything that's that's in the woods. And so they tend to be experts at what they know about. And they can tell you without a word of a doubt that whatever it was they saw, they have never seen before or since. And, uh, you know, uh, that that is what what I find uh, makes them such such good witnesses, you know. Have have you run into any effort like like since you guys were, were, were displaying Patty for the movie? Mm -hmm. You know, stuff. Have you had any uh, anthropologists or anything come up to talk to you guys about it? Um, not any anthropologists or people in the science community. They tend to avoid. Uh, they tend to avoid the, the the subject like the plague. You know, I mean, anytime you have somebody that's in the scientific community or educated like that, it, they want to talk to you strictly off the record. Uh, you know that one of the guys I was working with at the museum uh, went and talked to one of my employees, a young girl, and she had 17 pictures on her iPhone of one that she took up by Whistler Ski Resort in British Columbia. And uh, they were across the river, you know, across the lake and up on the hill. And you, you know, they're, they're, they were blurry, obviously, because by the time you magnified them, they uh -huh. lost the resolution. But he looked at the pictures and he was quite taken by it. And, and also her, and he asked her if, you know, what, if she thought it was a Sasquatch. And she said, really couldn't have been anything else. And her mother was there. She was with her when they saw it. And the mother said it had to be 10 feet tall. It was on the other side of the lake up on the cliff. And, um, and she said, well, you know, she's part native. And she said, we, we've always known about these things anyways. You know, we, we know about them. Like, I'm not the only person that I know who's seen one. We just don't talk to everybody about it. And I, she, to be honest, she worked with me for about three months before she told me she had the pictures on her phone and she knew what I did and that I was looking into it. Interesting. 
you know, you hear a lot of stories like like you talk about the the cohabiting. You know, there are stories out there of people that have homes that that are that are in the middle of nowhere. You know, up in the mountains, yeah. and you do hear this all the time. You know, where where they're used to seeing them. Yeah, if they come and, into all the property. Yeah, and people tend to to form some sort of connection with them too. Like to the point where they they won't give up information. They won't tell you everything. They they get very uh, protective over them. I remember there was the um, w- when the trapper took me up there and showed me w- the beds they made and the tree structures. Um, he also said they robbed his traps of his uh, bait. They liked his bait that he used, um, and he said every time they stole from his trap, they would leave three rocks on top of the uh, Martin box, and they would move on to the next one. And uh, I thought that was interesting. They always left three rocks, he said. And then there was, I remember there was a lady, and I, forgive me for not remembering people's names, but she uh, she said they used to come into her horse barn and they used to unscrew the top of, off of her uh, horse feed. And uh, everybody said this woman was crazy, you know, and was making this up. And she said that she could always tell because they would actually screw the lid back on to the bucket and leave three rocks on top. And as soon as she said that, I realized she weren't lying. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I don't even think the trapper that told me this owns a computer. I don't even think he doesn't research the subject. Doesn't, you know, he knows only what about it, what he te- sees and what he tells me. And then when I read that, I realized that in all likelihood, she's telling the absolute truth. I paid a lot more attention to reports of habituation after getting the corroborating stories like that, because that's what I try to do. I try to corroborate things. And, you know, I get, I get a lot of questions from people. Uh, You know, one of the main questions I get is, uh, have you ever had any of these witnesses tell you they also saw a UFO when they saw the Sasquatch? And I mean, I get this a lot and you know what I tell them? I tell them, no, uh, I've and I've not had anybody come into my shop out of the dozens and dozens who have tell me they saw a UFO in, in correlation with a um, Sasquatch. Now, I've I've read the reports about people who who have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't doubt them, but if they want my opinion, I don't have any evidence of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have any any. Uh, co- nobody's corroborated that for me. You know, they either see, I've talked to people who've seen UFOs. They've either seen a UFO or they've seen the Sasquatch, but I just personally haven't talked to people who've seen them both. And also too, uh, I've had people ask me about cloaking. Um, yeah. I will be really honest and tell you that uh, a one woman here was local. They they saw one on, on a highway in British Columbia and they went back there. There was tracks all over the ground. I never did go with them, but they found a place where they walked in the ground and left tracks because mostly they hide it. And she put up cameras and she showed me a picture and she said, look at this picture. She said, the cameras keep going off, but there's nothing in them. And I looked at the picture and there was a ghostly outline of a Sasquatch. Of, you know, the head shape was right and everything. It was very, very subtle, mm-hmm. but I saw it. And I mean, this isn't somebody... I don't even know if this woman's still alive because she had health problems, but I saw the picture. So have I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to approach something like that. I really right. don't. Right. Um, you know, but I've, I saw one photo from a, a reliable person of something that appeared to be uh, that. Um, but have, have I ever had people tell me they saw one cloak? No. Uh, 
And I do know that I do know about people who shot them. I do know about people who have very firsthand evidence of them burying their dead. Um, you know, and actually leaving gifts around the graves, uh, which is a really religion. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I am of the opinion that this creature is far more intelligent than we are in certain ways. You know, we have this big brain. And when we're sitting there thinking, we're thinking about the TV show we saw last night. Right. You know, we're thinking about the, the you know, the Mars rover. <laughs> and, you know, a whole bunch of, like, we, we think about a whole bunch of useless things all at the same time. But mm -hmm. I, this creature has a bigger brain, and it is focused only on what is around it mm -hmm. and uh, intensely focused. Um, so it has the ability to, uh, and also too, like, you know, the Sierra sounds and the things like when they've analyzed them, they, they've come to the conclusion that the animal process is thought about three to four times as fast as we do, which means that by the time we're wondering what it is, they've already assessed the situation and they're gone. Right. So I think, I think that, you know, just like a dolphin uses its brain differently, so do these creatures. And I think they have the upper hand on us. Yes. I'm just thinking about the rock thing and I'm thinking, you know, um, it's either a, a thing that they're trading the rocks for whatever they're taking, or maybe that's actually a form of, of money for them. I mean, you know, they're, they're smart enough anyway. Um, what I've, what I think is it's a gesture, only a gesture. And the, the creature does not seem to place value the way we do. So it'll take a bag of groceries that you paid a hundred dollars for and leave you three worthless rocks. <laughs> so it's saying thank you in yeah. in its own way. But uh, one of the one of the reasons that I um I believe they don't put value on things is if you cut down their forest, you know, they don't flatten your tires like the Navi do in Avatar. Right. <laughs> they just they just move. Um and uh, they don't seek revenge if you kill one of them. Like that's what everybody says. Oh, you kill one, they're gonna find you. No, they they don't do this. Um, I know of a very good story of somebody who was attacked by one, um, because of, because he he interacted accidentally with the young one, and there were other ones there. There was a bunch of them there, but the only one that actually attacked him was the mother of the young one. The other ones didn't, even the even the big male. Um, and that's the same thing if you're on a, a stream in, in Alaska when all of the salmon are running. Mm -hmm. If you decided to grab one of those cubs, you know, that are running all over the place, the only bear that's going to come after you is that cub's mother. The other ones won't. And they seem to live by these rules, the same rules that an animal lives by, uh, at least from my anecdotal evidence. Um, yeah. yeah, they don't. Let's see, we, we, we claim territory. Humans are, you know, they they start wars and murder millions of people over territory and idealism and things like that because we place value on it. The Sasquatch doesn't seem to do that. It seems like it, the, the leaving of gifts is only a gesture and is not a trade of equal value. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, uh, and another, another witness, uh, testimony that really got my attention was, uh, there was a woman on her porch uh, holding a baby and a Sasquatch walked through their yard. And it, it sounds like this was like, you know, well, some fringe fringe area, uh, pretty much like where hillbillies live, you know, and you know how some people in those fringe areas, they have pretty messy yards. Yeah. And 
what she said was that when the Sasquatch walked through the yard, uh, she said the person looks at everything. They got motors, they got, you know, vehicles up on blocks and people are looking and they're quite interested in everything around them. She said a deer walks through the yard. It has no interest in the motors and the cars and things that just on the trail, it's looking for danger. She said the Sasquatch was exactly the same. It did not look at any of the stuff. It acted more like the deer than the person. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I, you know, that's part of me forming this uh, idea that they just don't place the same kind of value mm -hmm. that we as hominids do. Mm -hmm. From designing this, you know, obviously the, the muscles and everything out of foam, how powerful do you think they are? Oh, I mean, uh, well, when I talked to the trapper uh, about them, he said that one of the things that people don't realize is how uh, heavy they are. He said that, uh, like, if you look at a thousand pound grizzly bear, it's got, you know, it's got powerful legs, but they're nothing like a Sasquatch. Sasquatch got all this muscle and, and, and basically, you know, a grizzly bear has got a lot of gut to it. And what he said is the Sasquatch is like, he's seen them 10 foot tall. He said they have to be in excess of 2000 pounds with that much muscle mass. He said they're, they're massive. And he says, and they move like lightning. He said he's never seen anything that big move that fast. He didn't even think it was possible. Uh, so they must be extremely powerful because we all know a chimp that's half the size of a human can mm -hmm. really can pull you limb from limb. And these things, you know, they whip great big rocks through the air. I mean, that the anecdotes of that are are uh, pretty good. And, and also, too, uh, I've talked to uh, people in British Columbia that go into this valley and hunt moose, and the trapper said, don't stay there more than two days. And uh, they said, you won't be welcome in there. Uh, and he wouldn't tell them why, and then the guy told me about it. And I said, well, he's talking about Sasquatches. He's not telling you, but that's what it is. And he goes, well, that would make sense. And I said, why? And he said, well, the second day we shot a moose. We shot, what did he say? We shot three moose. We could only get two of them out. We went back the next day, and the third one was gone. And I said, grizzly bear? And he said, no. He said it wasn't dragged. He said it was something picked it up, a dead moose, you know, probably in excess of 1,500 pounds. Wow. And he said, we we circled the area, and there was no tracks. There was no nothing. This moose was gone. It was gone. And uh, he said, we, and we got creeped out. We had a real bad feeling while we were looking for it. And I said, yeah, it was a Sasquatch. Um Another guy found a pig, like, you know, like a four or 500 pound pig jammed 12 feet up in the fork of a tree, 10 miles from the farmland. So this thing obviously went on somebody's farm in the night, punched this thing in the head, carried it 10 miles and then shoved it up in the crook of a tree, you know? And, uh, cause they were talking about it on a hunting forum and the guy said, well, how would it get up the tree? It must've been a cougar. Well, cougars don't put things in trees. Only leopards in Africa do because of the hyenas and lions, you know? Uh -huh. uh, Cougars basically scratch dirt over things. And even a leopard can't take a 500-pound pig up a tree. Nothing can, really. The, you know, it would have to be lifted and put up there. Uh, you know, so there's, like, these stories are everywhere. I love going onto hunting forums, and they'll have a thread that says, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen? And then you get these great Sasquatch stories that people otherwise would never have told you. That's awesome. Sir, what you have created is wonderful. Um, it, it's unique, and it's something you don't see every day. Did you see the movie? I did, and it's a great movie. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, 
Yeah, I mean, the movie was, yeah, it was an experience for me to have to watch that, but it was, it was fun. <laughs> but I mean, not everybody is going to create a Sasquatch unless it's, you know, unless, like I said, they're making a movie or something and they, you know, they, and they call them the special effects guys. I mean, yeah. look how poorly done, look at the $6 million man when, when you think back, let's age ourselves a little bit. Yep. And look at what they created. I mean, that thing was just, it was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Andre the Giant had this beard and, you know, it was just, it was just craziness with an it afro. That was a big deal. Yeah. At that I, time, it was a big deal. Yeah. It was the first one ever done. Yeah. But now you look back on it and you laugh because, I mean, the thing <laughs> the thing looks like you left the soda carpet on him. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, well, I, I remember that. And, like, yeah, I guess when the Sasquatch appeared in The Bionic Woman, and then that was the guy who played Lurch there from. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right, too. Yeah. I know yeah, it's, it's, um, there's, there's a storied history. Uh, if, if you look at the, the legend of the Sasquatch, where they call it man of the forest, you know, they had all kinds of words for it. Of course, the Indians all had different, or the natives, I guess I'm dating myself by calling them Indians because I'm not allowed to do that no more. But uh, but the natives, the natives all have, every single tribe has a word for what the Sasquatch is. Um, you know, so uh, it, it's 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 quite interesting to uh, to see the, you know, where it's come. Daniel Boone killed one. And that was documented. Uh, he killed a 10-foot-tall man of the forest. Uh, and I remember reading an interview with a historian who was, she was a historian on Daniel Boone. And they asked her, was it true that Daniel Boone killed a Bigfoot in Kentucky? And she said, if such a creature exists, he killed one. It was well documented. Because it actually, before he killed it, it killed two members of his crew. Um, and it was a 10-foot-tall man of the forest that Daniel Boone was famous for having killed in self-defense or whatever. Um, so, you know, those kind of stories get buried and I, I don't believe accidentally, mm-hmm. but I mean, you can look that one up. It's, it's I'm gonna look that one up. Well, that's, that's yeah. really cool. So what's next for you? Um, well, right now I, I've, uh, since, since the lottery thing, I, I transferred my business to my daughter and I'm, I'm getting my obligations, uh, done. I'm, I can't really travel in Canada right now. They've barred me from traveling because I'm not vaccinated. Uh, but I did, I, I, I did actually was hospitalized in November with COVID. I had COVID pneumonia and, um, but I recovered once they treated me, I recovered in a week and a couple of days and came home and recovered the rest of the way. And now they gave me antibody treatments. And so they're telling me that I, I couldn't get vaccinated if I want to for at least six months. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I think that this might even be all over by then. I hope so. I hope uh, so too. The way they're talking. Um, but uh, so, you know, right now I'm kind of stuck. I was supposed to go to, to, I work in Hungary sometimes and uh, I'm just waiting for somebody to allow me uh, to travel again. You know, it's, I find it, I find it very strange that, you know, having been born and raised in a free society that I could get on the, playing with a PCR test, but now I can't, mm-hmm. you know, what's the difference really, you know, what are they up to? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, so right now what I'm doing is I'm doing home renos. Uh, I'm, I'm working on some pieces for the world championships. I hope I can make it. It's down in Missouri in May. Um, I hope they let me cross the border because even now I can't do that. Right. Um, you know, so I'm just, Basically, what I've got obligations here that I'm always running away from, so I'm just trying to get them 
cleared up. I started a new company where I'm sculpting a taxidermy product for mass production that, that other taxidermists buy. And I get 10% of retail of each thing that they sell for my distributors. So I finally in a position to set myself up to create more of that. Uh, and I'm, I'm still, you know, collecting Sasquatch stories and, you know, who knows, maybe one day somebody will bring me one. I always say that, you know, it's going to be somebody in the hunting community is probably going to end up with one. I know what to do with it if I get it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I'm not going to profit from it. I'm just going to bring it out and, Get the thing a scientific name if I can. There you go. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I'm working on right now. So otherwise, I'm just keeping myself busy until I can travel again. There you go. How can people find you? Um, well, I'm up here in, in Canada. I really don't have, uh, you know, I, I'm on Facebook, I guess, you know, like everybody else. So... That's, you know, but I'm, you know, my daughter is, is taking in work for the company. I'm just doing it now. I'm kind of uh, becoming a little more reclusive by, by choice. There you go. There yeah. you go. I want to thank you so much. This was fantastic. And oh, was I, I was favorite. so excited about this show and, and it, 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 it fulfilled everything of my excitement. Well, know? good. I hope so. I hope, I hope that your, I hope that your fans find it interesting. <laughs> I think they do. I think they will. The, the ones that come in later to watch, you know, I just, I just, I'm just overwhelmed by what you built. I think it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And, well, uh, I, I will, I, down the road, I will build another one. I want to build the big male and I want to do, uh, I want to uh, resurrect my molds here in, uh, from the, the Patterson project and just build one a little better. Sure. Sure. There's room to improve on, uh, on everything everybody does. Yep. Well, if you could kindly let me know when you do that, because I would love to have you on again to talk to talk about it. Oh, I would love to be. Okay, terrific. Terrific. All right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I so appreciate this. And enjoy the good weather down there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're about to get some high winds starting tomorrow morning, so we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, yeah. at least it's not quite as cold as you guys. So yeah, the warm winds. <laughs> I feel for you. I feel for oh, you. That's all right. I, I grew up in it, so I'm fine. There you go. Well, have a good one, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. You take care now. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that was great. Um, I've, I've been following him for a long time, and wow. It's just, it's, he's like, what? he's one of my idols. He's truly one of my idols. Um, Monday, Steve Ubani is going to be with us. We're going to be talking about the conspiracy surrounding the death of Elvis. And uh, that's going to be an interesting thing. I've, I've, I've read that book, and it's, it's a very interesting read because it's not what you think. So that'll be Monday at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Sunday, I will be here at 6 p.m. Uh, for our, our, our weekly read to continue with the Ghost of Flight 401. So that's happening, and that's all Pacific time. I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. And if you like the show, share it with five people. Let me just straighten up here. Ugh, I keep sinking down in my chair. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five other people. Because you know what? We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Uh, again, check us out at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Also, we have a U California Haunts Radio YouTube channel. But it's kind of hard to find, even with the dedicated URL. So the easiest way to find it is you either have a direct link, like for this show, or you go on our website at w -haunts, w -haunts, at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And click on any video on there, and that'll take you over there. Also, during the show, if you liked what you saw, there's a little there's a little ghost with a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat down there in the right-hand corner. 
And if you click on that, you can become a subscriber because we 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 try to put on a whole lot of shows like this and keep interesting guests coming and uh, different topics. I'm a journalist by trade, so it's not only about ghosts and Sasquatch. It's it's about family. It's about family abuse and different things like that that we like to cover here in health issues. As you can see at the bottom, there is a ticker. Uh, help us bring more exciting and informative guests to the show. Uh, the reason for that is California Haunts is a nonprofit organization. And all this stuff comes out of my pocket, meaning the cost for the internet, uh, you know, the video company to run the internet, microphones, lights, you name it. It all comes out of my pocket, including the equipment for the paranormal team. So if you could find it in your heart to donate to help us keep bringing guests like Ken Walker back on, you know, on the show and uh, keep the show going, I'd appreciate it because we, I really love doing the show and my producers love doing the show. So uh, I would really appreciate it. And you can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, we do have a Venmo. Uh, just type, just go into Venmo and type in California Haunts. You can do it that way. But I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. And again, Monday we'll have Steve Ubani on. We're going to be talking about Elvis. Elvis's death and the conspiracy surrounding Elvis's death. And Sunday, uh, if you're into relaxing a little bit for an hour, uh, probably an hour and a half because the book's long. The chapters are long. Make it an hour and a half. Um, Pull up some coffee or cocoa or whatever it is you have and sit down and listen to me read from The Ghost of Flight 401. So thank you very much for coming. And I'm going to go ahead and run the website for Big Fur so you guys can go check that out too uh, before I sign off. So here's Big Fur website and it's, Big Fur, it's BigFurMovie.com. And that can be seen on any streaming thing like uh, Apple or Amazon. I saw it on Amazon, Amazon Prime. And uh, it's really a cool movie about Ken. And again, that's bigfurmovie.com. All right, guys, I will see you Sunday afternoon for the Ghost of Flight 401.